brother. All right. Hey, Eric. Welcome, everyone, uh, to Flamenco y Mas, our very first podcast, uh, Flamenco, Rock and Roll, and Guitar-Centric Conversation Zone, featuring interviews and insights with world-class artists from around the globe. And uh, we've been thinking about doing this for a long time, and I always knew that my brother Ben Woods would be our first guest because uh, we both grew up on the east side playing heavy metal and got into flamenco later and we'll get into all that but I want to introduce Ben Woods he is a I guess shredtastic guitarist you might say uh, known around the world for his pioneering flamenco metal sound and our style and uh, he's also a prolific recording artist that has already released over 20 records today his YouTube channel is now getting millions of views and he's just kind of an all-around stud Oh, thanks, Eric. And thanks for having me on. Yeah, I've been looking forward to doing this podcast with you for quite some time now. And uh, we have a, we have an interesting uh, chemistry because we could just talk and talk and talk for hours and hours and hours. And, and the, yeah, the, hopefully everyone the will think. The wives have gone to bed and we're still up talking. And it's happened many times. Hopefully everyone will think it's half as interesting as we do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, so um, I guess we, you know, we should start from the top. Like you, let's, let's talk about like, you know, you're, you grew up playing rock and roll, like you're in bands in, in Bellevue, just like me playing, playing metal and somehow later got into flamenco. But what, what were you into as a kid and what got you playing guitar? Yeah, well... I know. I, it's, I'm really surprised we didn't bump into each other. We probably did, but uh, well, we're just a few years off from each other. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. But uh, my parents didn't really play much music in the house. Honestly, my mom had a few records. You know, the best of bread, uh, Skaggs <laughs> and uh, Spirogyra, and just weird '70s stuff. But uh, um, yeah, I got into. I don't know. I started playing guitar, and I was—I had a few forty-fives, so some old, uh, some old-school rock and roll, you know, Johnny Be Good and stuff like that. And that was where I started learning Johnny Be Good and blues and things like that. Which, and I think that's a pretty good foundation for any guitarist to start with. Of that course, old-school rock and roll. I mean, and then old-school blues. Obviously, it's just—it's a great foundation, you know. To totally. Your, Learn your rhythm, uh, you know, learn the pentatonic box shape, and, and you're off and running. Totally. But, uh, yeah. well, how old were you when you got your first guitar? Mm. I must have been about 13 or 14. My good friend Jason Starkey taught me my first chords. Nice. I know Starkey. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Starkey's a great musician. He is. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I couldn't have had a better teacher to teach me my first chords and stuff and, and little how to get around. And uh, worked real hard. And he was in this band called Hit and Run. And it was kind of like a Bon Jovi kiss cover band and uh-huh. they were doing those kind of songs and and they picked you because be... you had the best hair no i had the worst hair i had a fro and <laughs> they had great hair but pants were a little too tight you know <laughs> this is back in the 80s things were a little weird but i have no idea what you're talking spray. about yeah <laughs> it's 
the really tight pants, really tight in the crotch area. I could never figure out how do they get it so tight in the crotch area. Well, every time I had my mom take in my jeans, you know, so they were really skinny at the bottom, but then the 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 butt wasn't taken in, so it always looks like I had a load in my pants. It just didn't look right. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to do the rock and roll thing and got a pair of cowboy boots and that was the first and last pair of those but anyways uh, got to join the band after I worked real hard but I just I still really sucked so I wasn't in that band for very long um, and you know what if 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 I was one of the founding members I would have fired me too because I was just terrible <laughs> didn't even bring the good hair to the to the party either so <laughs> it wasn't worth it but a little while later uh, took some guitar lessons and uh, got into iron maiden real bad and then you know metallica and megadeth and sepultura of course and it just started getting harder and harder and how about maiden start... for how about maiden for like a learning tool uh, right isn't they, aren't they the best they I were mean, so awesome to learn pentatonic and how to play lead mix minor with pentatonic and sometimes harmonic minor and and they had so much material even back then in the late 80s they were still like on their ninth album or something i mean there's just so much stuff and uh yeah i'm sure like there are millions of us that drove our parents insane playing to like oh, yeah. rhyme of the ancient mariner over and over and over like oh, God. 11 12 minute song or whatever mm -hmm. yeah they're they're totally they're totally important and pivotal and and learning guitar for me and it kind of you know once i learned all the 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 chords and the rhythms to every song that I could, I had a pretty good structure about how songs are composed and and also how yeah how the how the majors and minors work and stuff. Yeah. yeah what about was, Sabbath? Oh yeah, Sabbath is great. Sabbath was. Uh, I, I think I like Sabbath more nowadays than I ever did back then. I loved it back <laughs> then, but I didn't really look at them as a as a rad guitar learning tool. It's just good metal to have on when you're in the sure. back of a Camaro smoking pot or something. Because <laughs> uh, I never owned a Camaro, so I was always sitting in the back seat. But... Yeah, totally. I was exactly the same. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's awesome. So, like of that era, like when you were when you were really getting into shredding, who do you think like was your most the most influential guitar player for you? Oh, um, actually, I think it was Dave Murray from uh -huh. Iron Maiden because the Adrian Smith was a little bit too sophisticated. I still didn't understand the instrument and things quite a little technical what he was doing. But Dave Murray, not not to downplay him at all, but it was just something that fit on my hands a little bit better. Uh -huh. and not to say I could play like Dave Murray, but I, I was trying to learn his stuff. Sure. Uh, and then eventually I could learn a few Adrian Smith things. Yeah, as, and as soon as I learned the chord structure and then got into the, some of the solos and stuff, by the time I had gotten up to speed with, uh, with Peace of Mind and all the albums before that, I, I had a pretty good handle on how to play the guitar and how to even write my own songs and stuff. That's cool. So, yeah, they're, they're, I, you just can't downplay how good of... A teaching tool learning Iron Maiden is yeah it's so fun 
Totally, totally. So, I, I mean... I, 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 if there's any kids listening to this, they have no fucking idea what we're talking about. <laughs> but luckily, <laughs> but, they can but go kids, back. The kids, if you might know who Metallica is, yeah. <laughs> that was like probably one of their biggest influences was Iron Maiden, for sure, right? Like, that was, the, sure. that was the next evolution of Maiden. It was kind of like... You know, Sabbath was the founders, and then like Judas Priest and and Iron Maiden. Well, Judas Priest was kind of the next evolution, and Iron Maiden after that. Those were kind of like the founding fathers. Absolutely, which is ironic because they're they're all English. Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, I so was it kind of similar for you too? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's all all the same stuff. Yeah, I mean, I was into. Yeah, I was really into, uh, well, I couldn't play it for the first couple of years, but, you know, Van Halen really hooks me in for sure. Like the first time I heard Eruption, I I thought I died and went to heaven. Um, I agree. But then also just, yes, I was really into Sabbath, like young. I was really into Sabbath and then, um, and then Maiden when they came out with, with Number of the Beast, that whole era, like 80, 81, like if you're a rocker or a guitarist, it was amazing. I mean, I might not be remembering everything right, but I think in that one year period, you had like ACDC's Back to Black. You had Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman. You had, you know, Number of the Beast, um, Scorpion's Blackout. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I can't stuff. even think of off the top of my head, you know, how many great, you know, and, and peace of mind came out really sh- well that was a couple of years after but that was that kind of that whole era yeah so if you're if you were into rock and roll and playing guitar there was just so much to to be into randy rhodes really was oh, a yeah. guy was a guy that that was your guy and i think you know i'm sure our, our conversation's obviously going to lead to flamenco but i think we i have to give randy rhodes some credit because i you know like you i grew up you know, in in the states, not playing flamenco, but Randy Rhodes was like one of the first metal dudes that was trying to play classical guitar and doing cool things on nylon string, and and um, maybe at least start thinking that way before I discovered flamenco, and and you know had that kind of classical aspect to his composition, which he was way ahead of even you know ten years before Ingve or whatever, but um, yeah. So, you were into Randy, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. How can you not be Randy and and Eddie Van Halen? Honestly, they were a bit too sophisticated for me. I didn't try to learn their stuff. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I don't even know where to start. Nowadays, I'm pretty good at figuring things out by ear. But back then, I just I kind of had to just go with whoever whatever fell on the fretboard and whoever yeah, yeah. seems whether I liked it or not that was just what I could learn and what I could do I would have loved to play Van Halen stuff but I didn't know how they're I'm just doing power chords I don't know how they're doing all these weird triads and inversions up there on the first second third strings I don't know what the hell is going on here so I didn't even try honestly. Yeah. but you know uh it's funny because you grew up in Bellevue, Washington, and I grew up in Bellevue, Washington, and maybe you're just like a couple years older than me, but I feel like, you know, there wasn't a whole lot happening. And 
there wasn't even a whole lot of parties or anything happening. And the when they were, they're like, the only, there's only like, I don't know, six metal dudes in the entire town. So I'm surprised we didn't run into each other. But oh, I, I think bet. that's the difference between our slight years of era because you just missed the boat, bro. Yeah, maybe. It was pretty insane when I was in high school. <laughs> I feel like if we did, if we ever met back in high school that, or at a party or something, that we probably would have had some kind of parking lot fight and <laughs> been best brothers right after yeah. throwing a couple fists or something, like a drunken thing. You or know? a parking lot bong hit. Yeah, that could have been it, too. I wasn't much of a fighter. <laughs> no, <actually>. me either. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so then obviously later you got into the heavier stuff. Metallica came out and then you got into all the the heavy, more heavy duty metal that you could hear influences in your in your yeah. music now. You know, the, the guitar playing got faster. My guitar playing got faster and I just wanted to keep going faster. I wanted to get better and play fast and more technically and luckily there was good bands like that coming out really pushing the limits and uh and that's why i think a lot of great guitar players came out of that era because everybody was competing with each other yeah trying to be the most fast and technical and and we were just very very lucky to be kind of around at that time trying to figure out how to play the guitar in our bedrooms you know yeah, I so, think that the the level of guitar playing in the by the nineties was so high in rock and roll that that when Nirvana kind of justifiably crushed everything. The balloon which, had which to it, burst. it had to happen, but uh all those shredders had to go somewhere. <laughs> yeah, they did. And we Flamenco, we were very fortunate to find it because it's just the perfect transition for somebody that really likes the fast, aggressive, technical guitar playing. It's a perfect transition for someone like that to go into. I'm, a, I'm surprised more people weren't drawn to it at that time, but it's still a very, very small niche as far as music goes. Well, yeah, I think it's just so damn hard to learn in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Right. You got to the first the first few years or really the first five years, I thought was almost hell. I mean, even though it was fun, uh, you know, the the frustration level, you know, it was so rough. I mean, I remember I remember I was I thought that I had such great rhythm, you know, playing Morbid Angel and Deicide riffs. I, I even being able to go desk just super right. I thought oh my rhythm is just awesome and when it was time for me to go play dance classes after about a year or so of taking flamenco studies uh, I went into the dance class thinking oh, I'm just gonna just blow them away I'm, just, I'm so awesome <laughs> man did I get my butt kicked so hard that, and uh, I just realized that my my timing just sucked so bad that I did not have metronomic timing. I didn't think I didn't, I wasn't nearly as good as I thought I was and that I am going to have to just go back to the woodshed and start from, start from scratch with the timing thing. I mean, I didn't know that I rushed so much. Yeah. It seems to be almost human nature. It's a rude awakening rush. I think, I mean, I see it like teaching, um, the students that I see that have 
the upper end of like natural rhythm, should we call it? You know, people that feel and hear things right away and they can play it really quick. You know, even if it's something they haven't done, you can tell they have a good natural sense of rhythm. If they haven't worked with the metronome before or a dancer or dance played for dance class, all the stuff that you have to do to play flamenco, um, you just don't have the good rhythm you think you do any more than like the drummers that come into the rude awakening that they think they're an awesome drummer till they go into a studio and try and play to a click track while the clock's ticking for the first yeah. time. Yeah. And that's essentially what it is. It's like, they're, it's just totally different levels of, of understanding rhythm. And at first it feels stiff to play to a metronome and then it becomes like a drummer and makes it easier to play. Yeah, it's true. Absolutely. So how'd you find out about flamenco? Like what got you into it? Oh, uh, well, I guess the story starts with, um, I was playing lots of speed metal, living in West Seattle and living in a house with all my buddies and we needed a roommate. So I found this guy who was going to do some carpentry that we needed done in exchange for rent. So he lived there for a couple of months. And then one day I came home and he was gone, but my guitar was gone and the head my amp head to my half stack was gone. And then I looked in my cabinet and all the speakers were gone. So he was a, ah. and I looked in his room and there was syringes and spoons. And so he was a junkie. Oh, and man. none of us knew it. And I mean, we weren't around junkies, so we didn't even know what to look for really until mm-hmm. it was too late. So, okay, fast forward, all my guitar gear is gone. I borrowed this, my mom had an old, classical guitar in a closet so I restrung it started playing my speed metal on that and I thought to myself hey this sounds like that Spanish shit I should probably maybe I should (laughs) learn some of that so because right now you know my playing is kind of mediocre and by the time I I save up for a new guitar rig maybe if I got some of the Spanish stuff under my belt I'll have a signature sound and I won't sound like everybody else right so started uh, just messing around on it, trying to learn things off Carlos Montoya albums by ear. And, you know, those albums don't even have great compas in them or, or yeah. anything. But, or barely any compas. <laughs> yeah, not, not to downplay. He's still yeah. a great player and forefather or whatever. But, but yeah, and then... Uh, someone gave me a tape and it had some Chipsy Kings on it. It had some Otmar Liebert on it. And it might even had some Paco de Lucia on it. And so I listened to that cassette tape till it just got warped. And, and then I started realizing that, oh, what I really like is flamenco. Yep. That's kind of like the acoustic speed metal that I've been looking for and that I, I should start learning. So uh, I started, you know, like any smart person would by playing along with Gypsy Kings songs. Yes. And right at that time, the Gypsy Kings were just starting to get really, really popular. Sure. You know, around 89, 91, that whole time. And, uh, yeah, so the, that's the, the gateway. That's the gateway G- drug. Gateway flamenco. It's like even Otmar, who gets gets a lot of shit, and maybe maybe some of it deserved, but so some of it not. Like anyone who gets people more into guitar, and then if they end up discovering Paco de Lucia and loving flamenco, yeah, or even if they don't, like there's, um, I think uh, 
you know, the gateway flamenco for Americans sometimes is a good thing, you know, because then that's how you find out about, I think without the Gypsy Kings, a lot of us wouldn't have known about a lot of flamenco. And, and then aside from that, like if you're just talking about aire, you know, looking like at the first live record that they did and like the sound of Nikolai's voice and the way Tonino played lead and stuff. I mean, if you put aside from their, they're playing all Roombas or whatever, like that flamenco flavor is so strong. Like, and, and you, and as a, as a, like a, as a total novice, you're hearing it and you're actually understanding what the feeling is for the first time. Absolutely. You sort of, yeah, you finally get that. Like, oh man, this is some really cool shit. You hear the haleos and the palmas and stuff like that. I want to be there drinking with these guys. That that sounds like fun. And and maybe if I learn to play well enough one day, I can. That type of, those are the dreams that we would have, you know. And and, uh, yeah, by this time, I I didn't even really care about getting an electric guitar rig back i Once just i was in it. yeah i i caught the bug did you go like, straight to lessons or did you teach yourself first i taught myself first for a good year and i wasn't i mean i got to a point where i i just couldn't progress much farther and i was like i have to take real lessons because i don't know what the hell i'm doing is that where the your backwards rascato came from and that's where it is yeah because i start I, I play it like this because that's what I thought they were doing. Yeah. And that's what felt comfortable to me when I did it on a on a desk. Yep. So I thought that well that must be it. And then I started taking lessons with with Marcos Carmona and he told me no you're going to have to change that it's backwards and I tried <laughs> for a couple of weeks and I said fuck that. I'm doing it my own way. I don't care. It's too late. It doesn't sound it's too late. Fuck it. I'm doing it my own way. Which is a uh, yeah, it's, 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 I think it's a good way to think about things. I mean, I should have been more like the, the kung fu disciple. I think and, that should be like on your gravestone is, fuck that, I'm doing it my way. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> way. That's a great <laughs> Well, it's, it's kind of cool because, you know, there is a lot of flamenco technique that you have to be at least within the realm of of doing things correctly to be able to pull it off, right? And Rosciato is just one of those things you wouldn't think that about doing it backwards and because you started doing it that way now all of a sudden you know well fast forward many years later when you're doing all this you know metal covers of you know flamenco style that rosciato served you really well because it gave you this totally different sound and a different attack that like really worked with that whole thing and it works in your flamenco playing just as well too i mean it's just uh, it's your own style yeah well i mean that's what we all want as musicians eventually and artists artists as a whole is eventually to just not be studying but be developing our own voice and our own style right i mean and then making hopefully making a mark on the world with it you know that i think that's kind of the ultimate goal of any artist you know to eventually make your mark and so and you can't do that if you're just trying to trying to play like somebody else and trying to trying to sound exactly like somebody else that's why i i'm not worried about sounding like the guys from andalusia 
I'm just yeah. going to sound like me. I, I used to be worried about it, really worried about it, very had anxiety about it because <laughs> no matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't but, quite get the flavor. Perfect, because I think, you know? well, I think that's the right thing to do. Like there is that stage where you have to do that because otherwise if you don't have that stage where you're trying to, you know, really learn to do it right, you're not yeah. really giving the art respect. And the, art, and the art deserves respect, you know, and you, you definitely, I think this is something maybe, uh, because your popularity goes beyond flamenco, um, because of all the different music that you play. But I think that maybe some of your, your rock and roll fans or, you know, guitar geek fans don't really realize the time that you put into, you know, traditional flamenco that you learned how to accompany Cante and baile. You went to Sevilla for a little while and, um, you know how it is. It's, it's, it's not an easy feat. It takes, it's a lifelong journey, right? So, so anyways, uh, I, 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 I'm really, I want to hear about how you got into flamenco guitar. Cause I remember meeting you the very, very first time and, uh, a dance class, was, right? No, 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 no. My hair was quite a bit longer. You still had long hair and, and you were with Vasily <laughs> and he had really, really long hair too. And we were the only three dudes at this flamenco party of our maestros, uh, 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 Marcos and Rubina Carmona. And I had been studying with Marcos for about a year, maybe a year and a half, two. I don't kind of remember, but I remember going to this party and walking in the front door and immediately seeing you two guys. And I was like, fuck, those guys look like they're heavy metal dudes. Fuck yeah, let's go get a beer with them. And we were rock and roll dudes. Oh, yeah. Got you, into you guys were. And you guys were. But, uh, yeah, I studied with Marcos for about the same amount of time, about a year. But I think you might have started maybe a few months before me or whatever. And and uh, I kind of discovered it in L.A. when I was, um, you know, playing metal down there and playing, doing studio work. And Don't tell me Vasquez Guitars across the street from the, the yep. guitar center on Sunset Boulevard. Absolutely. I'm sure there's probably, like, 3,000 podcasts, people talking about how that's, that's how they got into classical or flamenco guitar. I mean, what a great resource. I mean, maybe I'm not going to say that the guitars were bad or good. They, they, they had good and bad ones there, but um, they did guitar repairs and, and all kinds of people would come in there from rock stars to yeah. flamenco stars. And a great location. I mean, he knew everybody, so he could get yeah. you hooked up with people. That's how he got me hooked up with my first teacher was uh, Benito Palacios, who was from Spain and had been living yeah, in LA nice for a long guy. time. He was cool, and actually, Marcos used to play with him a lot. Ironically, oh, then I later I moved back to Seattle and studied with Marcos, and they were friends and used to do gigs together and stuff like that. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Oh, that's interesting. yeah, but Benito was like a trip for me because you know I'm like this young rocker kid. And, you know, when you play rock and roll and you're like working a telemarketing job or whatever you're doing and then, you know, rehearsing five nights a week and doing your gigs on the weekends, you're not even thinking in terms of like making a living. It's either like starving to death or you're going to be really rich someday. Right. That's like your two goals. Yeah, like you're, you're going to be poor till you're rich. Uh, it was the whole mentality. Then I go to study with this flamenco teacher. And first of all, he just crushes everyone I've been listening to just right in front of me on an acoustic guitar. 
and like you're just instantly hooked right i mean you, and he's playing this way and then you know i'm looking around he's he's got this whitewashed house on the hills in la and i start hearing the stories of how he never worked and that he just played solo guitar and he started touring when he was 16 and and you know his wife was there and kid at the time and and he just had this whole life this awesome life and and he just played guitar and i was like holy shit i i want that yeah. <laughs> you know playing the music that you love and 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 just uh and nobody even knew who he was really yeah i mean I was, i've heard i definitely heard of him but let me back up a little bit uh when was it? Because you were, you must have been in LA when you first got the bug. Why, when, and why did you find flamenco guitar? And what, what drew you to it? Well, I would say, as you, like I was always into the progressive shred guitar stuff, right? And so it, you know, eventually I got into Ingve and Racer X. And, but way before that, like Rush was really progressive. I was into Alex Lifeson and he played a lot of classical stuff. And, um, and I'd always kind of peripherally heard Spanish classical guitar and a little bit of flamenco. And, uh, and then I started hearing it more in LA because of the Gypsy Kings. Uh, and then it started like creeping out everywhere. And, uh, was that about the time when, uh, metal, uh, well, hair metal yeah. was dying off and the shit exactly. was dying off and the grunge was coming in. And it was like, what am I going to do with all these sweep arpeggios? Yeah. <laughs> well, by then I was like, I was into like hardcore thrash, like heavy, heavy yeah. shit. And, uh, but yeah, that kind of was happening. So I actually only studied for three months because I got, uh, tendonitis and carpal tunnel symptoms because I played electric like six to eight hours a day already and then I was putting three hours of flamenco practice and I kind of had to make a decision well I put all this time into my rock career I just learned how to make records properly and I was getting like lots of studio work down there so I said I'm just gonna put this aside I'll get to flamenco later and I actually didn't do it for seven years oh Damn, I didn't so know I, Yeah, I only studied for three months, then put it aside and kept going at my rock career until it got to the point where every time I heard flamenco, I started almost crying in front of people. And I thought, okay, I guess I guess I have to do this and kind of committed to not touching an electric for at least two years and just, and just studying. So I probably met you not too long after that, you know, probably like six right. months, six months into that. But, uh, but this is about you, brother. Oh, no, it's about both of us. I think you're way more interesting than I am, man. <laughs> I don't think so. But no, I remember, I remember because I met you guys at the party. The next time I actually met you guys, it was uh, you invited me over to your house where you were staying at. I believe I, maybe you weren't staying there, but um, where you and Vasily rehearsed and you you had this brainchild of the children of the revolution band but before that it was just you two guys and yeah. you were playing gypsy king songs and s singing them with harmonies and you were doing all the tonino leads and stuff note for note and you guys sounded fantastic i was like i've never heard anybody do this live that sounds just like them you know because <laughs> where i remember because it was a house it was right next to the 99 freeway and it was up on stilts yeah it was condemned we were living believe, in a condemned house yeah i couldn't believe that anybody could actually walk on this it, it, you could just fall through at any time it was crazy like we i think what happened was that the and vasili's so it was an apartment building it was two apartments so it was like a duplex 
and Vasily's parents and family lived upstairs. So when they got the notice to move out of the building, I think Vasily's dad talked the landlord into letting him stay. He's like, how about we don't tell anyone we're living here, we'll pay half rent or something like that, or a third rent. It was really cheap. And so that's when I moved in because I was living in a warehouse at the time. And Vasily and I had been playing a lot. We're like, well, let's just, you know, we'll just bunker down. So if you remember, we had a ladder going up to the house to get in. It was crazy. Yeah. pretty pretty wild time and and then we met in Karna and um and then she would come over to rehearse and the whole house would sway oh man that's scary i mean that would never happen these days i don't think yeah but, i don't think but, uh, would, seattle seattle was a different kind of place yeah. back then and it was certainly way better for artists to be like to create something out of nothing and 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 you know make make something happen seattle is definitely you know, been really good to us. For sure. For sure. So, and then I wanted to ask you one more thing, though, before we go on, uh, about what was it about the time when you started? Because, okay, we all know that you, you play flamenco guitar great, and so we have similar backgrounds with that and everything. But what was about the time that you started playing the bazooki and learning Greek music? Was that because the, at the time you had uh, that was all Vasily. Friend was a belly dancer. <laughs> no, actually, it was more. I did have a girlfriend that was a belly dancer, but it was actually when I met Vasily, he had just moved back from Greece, and he was really into rimbetico music. I had never heard it at the time, and I was really into flamenco, and he would studied a little bit of flamenco before, so he li- he liked it, and he always had good hands and. Um, he had never really, guy. yeah, he had never really sang at the time. He was singing, you know, and around the campfire and the shower and that kind of thing. But I, I knew that he was going to be awesome. And, uh, but we we started out just playing instrumentals, you know, pretty much. Yeah. But, but, uh, so he started getting me into the Rimbetico music and we very quickly it's like made prog rock. It's what like was like prog rock? It's kind of the Greek flamenco. It's their yeah. underground blues music of the hash smoking, hardcore partying, outside right. outskirts of society, Greek guys, uh, you know, they carry knives and get in fights in, bar- in bars and, you know, it's just this whole other subculture, right? That's not that different than the Gitanos in you know, Andalusia. And we quickly made the connection that like, wow, these, the even though the sound of those two kinds of music are very different, the feeling and the place that they come from are aren't that different and because Vasily wasn't a cantaor he was from Greece and he was fluent in Greek we started putting like Greek letras to flamenco right away just just because it was what we had like we didn't have a cantaor and we were wanting to write and make music and so that's kind of how that that band started was was like just taking whatever we had and making songs with it that's so awesome. Yeah, I remember that. Thinking, wow, this is so cool. So how did the... So then did you have a bazooki or did you say, well, I should probably just get one of these and start shooting yeah, on it? You know, I actually don't remember how we got the first bazooki, but we got one <laughs> at some point. First, we were just doing it on flamenco. And then right. and then we got a bazooki. I think Vasily bought one at some point. He got one for cheap. 
and which has uh, a totally different tuning right it's, yeah it's kind of like the first four strings of guitar um doubled on the first two strings and then octaves so it's kind of like a 12 string with four strings right and then instead of the d being the low and then the whole thing's a half step down and c all right whole step whole step down and c i should say so uh strange yeah that must so, have been a, a little bit of a learning curve as well i mean you're you're just working your ass off to get some flamenco and you're like so you're you're figuring out how to perform rumbas but you're also at the same time learning soliar and and Bulidias and Alidias and doing that yeah. and then all of a sudden it's like fucking rubenticos and and fucking oh god now a whole new instrument with and a different tuning and nine keeping, eight times what and the stuff fuck yeah, yeah, it was, but it was, and it, but it was, uh, I was a, it was kind of like flamenco. It's like, if you're around it all the time, like I'm not around it all the time and anymore, but at the time, Vasily and I were, we're around Greeks all the time and we were hanging out, but there used to be a scene where with Takis and all sorts of folks were, were, um, you know, Omar Batiste who danced in our group, like that there were this whole crew of people that were into Greek music and so I could be around it and get schooled and and mostly just party and play with them till I got the feel which is kind of how like I mean we we think of flamenco differently because we we started studying it later in life but like the way that they grew up learning it is just that they grow up you know immersed in it just doing it all the time yeah so so speaking of so you you eventually started learning how to play for Cante and Baile right and you went to Spain and uh what was your like first trip to Spain like I I waited a long time before I went to Spain I probably should have gone earlier but my thinking was is is twofold one was I was just broke all the time so I saving up for a trip like that was was difficult and then second is that I wanted to make sure that I had a good understanding of of a lot of flamenco like that had that I could play pretty good and I understood how to accompany some cante and baile and and I understood a lot of the polos and sort of how they worked so that when I got there I could really sort of soak up all the good stuff that if I had less knowledge maybe it would have been over my head and I wouldn't have been able to soak it up do you know what I'm talking about? of course so yeah and I think that I think that was a good thing waiting a little while I didn't go until 2004 yeah 2004 was my first trip to Spain and I was it was for about five or six weeks it wasn't even very long and I I I just went to Sevilla and Madrid and I had an amazing time such a great time Um, did it change your perspective or the way you play after you had that experience honestly I don't think it changed the way that I I played I I picked up some things for sure Uh, I I was able to I needed more restraint that's for sure I was just too wild and aggressive and my hand was all over the place and it's just too wild so it, it 
taught me to restrain yeah, a you bit more. Yeah, probably saw for the first time people just playing awesome compas and hardly soloing at all and just accompanying and oh, yeah, the way that they just do that all night. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and they don't break the D string every two days like I was doing. So, <laughs> yeah, because they so try to, they don't try and do whole step bends on the G string. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So, so then you, uh, so then you come back and you've you've been playing flamenco for a long time, and you're like, you know what? I've I still got the metal thing in me, and why haven't I put the two things together? What were you thinking? Yeah. I was thinking that. I mean, at the time, that's all that I listened to. I, I remember I was, when I created the flametal idea, I was live. I was living in a warehouse at the time, but in Oakland. So I remember that place. Not quite as cold as your warehouse in Seattle, I'm sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I had two shelves of CDs, and one had, had about 100 metal CDs, and the one below that had about a hundred or so flamenco CDs. And I was like, boy, I wish there was that third shelf, <laughs> both of it together, you know, and there wasn't, there wasn't a single album like that. So I thought, well, fuck, I guess if nobody is, if it doesn't exist, I better do something about it. Cause that's what I want to yeah. hear. And I just thought, fuck, can you imagine if like Paco de Lucia, was the lead guitar player in Megadeth. Can you imagine how cool that would be? I remember so, the I remember your first recording, if I'm from remembering correctly. I remember you sent me your demo that you and you did something with Jason McGuire, right? Was that your first one? Yeah, yeah. I was I was uh and what was that first Polidia? It was called Bruja. Yeah, I was so impressed, man. It was like, it was so new and so fresh and fucking aggressive and like, and flamenco still, like you had the cool remates and, and contratiempo and all that stuff, but also had all the metal feel and it's pretty, yeah, yeah. pretty cool he was, demo. He, yeah, thanks. He was uh, definitely important in the creation of it. He, uh, I was studying with him and here and there I was working with him too, playing his wife's classes and and doing shows and stuff but actually playing cajon never never guitar with him in right. a show which i was hoping that he would ask me some but i never got it but whatever he, <laughs> he, i remember he said to me one day he said you want to you know what i want to record you you got a lot of good ideas uh we'll just come in next week and we'll just record anything you want I said, anything? He's like, anything. I'm like, okay. So I came to him with the idea. I wrote it in a week and came to him with the idea. And we did, uh, so we did that song and three others for the Flametal demo. And he programmed the drums on it. And then I played uh, the electric guitar and the flamenco guitar and did some death metal, some weird death metal-y singing stuff sometimes. But yeah, that 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 demo was crucial in getting my musicians because then I had something and that was right about the time where you could post mp3s in into an email so I put out a Craigslist ad and I asked uh, this is what I want to do flamenco metal 
if you have any doubts at all that you could pull this off, don't bother responding. And then I had a, th- I think I did you one. actually say that in your head? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So I you just I had a, a link to where the, the, the MP3s were living somewhere uh, on the internet. No punks uh, allowed. Yeah. Something like, look, if, if you think this is going to be hard for you, don't just don't bother responding. I'm just looking for the best. I, I had some balls, man. What a, what a little <laughs> asshole. But uh, uh, really, the only people that responded were the ones that got in the... Is that how you found Uriah? Yeah, let's see. Yeah, I think that's how I found Uriah. I think I met him at the uh, at the Oakland Soundwave Studios, the old school ones under the freeway. And, and he was just amazing. He's an amazing then, bass player. Yeah, and I believe that's how it happened. And then... While we were there, we met Brian Spaulding, who I affectionately call Laser, and he is just an amazing electric guitar player. And it just doesn't sound like anyone I've ever heard. It's just awesome. So it was either that or I met Brian there and then we and then we just ran into Uriah there. I can't remember how it happened. And then the drummer, Thomas Perry, uh, worked at the music store, the local music store, just a, a mile away from my warehouse and I would go in there every couple of weeks to buy strings because you know I was still playing hard and I was still breaking strings who breaks a string on a flamenco guitar I mean I was yeah. breaking strings all the time just because I was, I was nailing it I was denting it and f- what was the matter with me but I had a lot of uh, a lot of vinegar in me I guess and I'd go in there and I'd see him every once in a while. And then I said, hey, man, if you know any drummers, I'm looking for a drummer starting this band. He's like, oh, yeah, I play drums. And I said, okay, that's that's cool. But if you hear of any really good drummers, you know, let me know. He's like, oh, I play drums. I'm like, well, I'm doing this project and I'm looking for somebody that can handle that. He's like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. I think I could do it. And I was like, yeah, all right, well, here's the Here's the link, anyway. I did. I was a dick then too. I didn't think that he was going to be good. Just, I guess, by just <laughs> like this guy, you know, he didn't have long hair. I'm like, I, I was all judgmental. And uh, but it turns out that he was—he's one of the best drummers I've ever known and played with. So that's awesome. And he totally—he totally pulled it off. So. And so then you guys, like, I, if I remember right, you ended up, uh, the classic metal thing, you got to go to Japan, right? And that kind of got your name, if I remember correctly, that might have helped get oh, your name established. So cool. On the, on the, we got a record deal. I, I self-released the first album, and uh, just like all of mine since then. But we did get a Japanese record deal for the second album. So we made it, and uh, they sent us to Japan, but not the whole band. Only me and Uriah. And at that time, Uriah had been playing in White Snake, so maybe that's why he got to go, because of the notoriety mm-hmm. in that. But I don't know why they didn't take the other two guys, but uh, that's unfortunate. But yeah, we went to Japan for two weeks, and, and uh, that was a beautiful experience for me. 2007 I still haven't been back yet I can't wait to go back but uh, Japan is awesome people are lovely it was great they really know how to put on live shows too I gotta tell you every club that we played at already had a backline of drum set 
and nice. fairly new cymbals, and they had a bass rig and a guitar rig, usually a Marshall, and and, and even some rudimentary pedals. So people just had to bring their instruments and I saw the drummer he just got off the bus with his drumsticks and walked in the club and that's and, cool I mean it's so cool because you don't have to worry about hauling your gear there or, or back to your rehearsal space at the end of the night you don't have to worry about everything yeah. sounding like well shit. probably space is so limited there right yeah. and then travel and all that like it makes a lot of sense to set things up that way one odd thing that I did notice, though, when it was set, a setup like that, lens for this, there was like 15 bands in oh, one wow. four-hour <laughs> because they could do that. I mean, you yeah. just walk on stage, you play your two, three songs, and then you walk off. And then the next guys, they just walk in, plug in, and play, and they're ready yeah, to yeah. go. There's no sound check. There's no teardown or setup. It's actually kind of beautiful. I mean, I. Uh, the way we do it here, they, they'll do a metal show and there'll be six bands uh -huh. and everybody gets their half hour, but there's a half hour teardown and set up in between. And then the night just takes forever. And if you're there to see one band, you, I mean, you're, the, you're, you're in there for a good six, eight hour commitment. It's like, geez. Mario. Yeah, this is Mario. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a rescue. <laughs> so he he doesn't always behave, but it's okay. Yeah, my mom has five of them, and one of them's a little asshole. Yeah, you know. I know but they are. You know, if if we didn't pick him up, then he would have gotten youth, euthanized. So yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> well, speaking of touring and all that stuff, I wanted to ask you about. Um, you know, I know one of the. Well, we'll lead to touring. Let's put it that way. I think one of the really cool things that you decided to do later, you know, after you'd done full metal and then went back to playing more flamenco and then back to full metal again, you know, was that you started bringing back like classic metal tunes and then arranging them for solo flamenco guitar. And I think it's really original the way that you did it and, and like found a cool way to do covers and I remember one, one of the ones that really like got my attention when you put out the video was when you did uh, Rebel Yell of Billy Idol. I just thought the arrangement was so awesome. And, you know, Steve Stevens was a badass back in the day, I remembered. And, and I just Absolutely. thought, and I even thought, like, it'd be cool if Billy Idol or Steve sees this video because they, he'd have to like it because he's he's a guitar geek like us like he you know he's a shredder mentality kind of a guy who just loves guitar you know and i thought if he sees your video he's got to say something to you and sure enough he sees your video tell me if i'm wrong he sees your video and you end up getting to tour with him right yeah yeah i'm trying Is that to did he did he see it by chance like or did you send it to him or what I did is I, uh, I was in, it was done on a Godin guitar. And at the time I was endorsed by the Godin guitars and, okay. and so was Steve Stevens or we were endorsing them. I, I can never remember whether I'm an endorser or an endorsee. Endorsee, I believe. I, I, it doesn't make any sense, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was one of their main artists and I was this little artist and, but I did this video and I and I uh, 
No, you know what? It was before the video. I had him on an album. I had him play a play a part on a, on one of my original songs, and I really wanted Steve on there. So I contacted a guy I knew at Godan. I think his name is Fred, and I said, "Hey, I got a song. I know that you work with Steve. See, uh, here here's the MP3. Maybe you could send it to him and see if he's interested." And it turns out oh, he was interested. I forgot he sent about that. Me his part of the track, and it was totally badass and then uh yeah and then we were and, and then i had his email and we were in touch after that and then um uh, a couple years later i i think i made that rebel yell video and i don't know if i sent it to him or if he just saw it but i think that kind of started like oh i want to tour and do my flamenco a go go album which is a great album that he released and uh, and so then he called me and we started working on it. So it was a great experience, man. We we went to Europe for two weeks and we had a real deal double-decker tour bus and it was my <laughs> first sort of, you know, rock and roll experience like that. Sure. Where you pull up in the bus and there's already a line around the, the venue of people waiting to get in and it's, it's just super, super cool. Love that experience. I don't know if that one will ever happen again, but I'm very grateful that he asked me, and I worked my butt off because I had to. I had to play flamenco guitar duels with him. <laughs> Not easy. Uh, and I had to play electric guitar, and it'd been so many years since I played electric guitar that it was rough. And I'm not a real gear guy, so I didn't have a nice pedal board and all my shit together, you know. You just but, jumped in. But I jumped in uh, into the deep water way over my head. And uh, maybe I wasn't the perfect guy for it, but uh, I, ah, I, I think definitely so. worked and my he, ass off on it. Am I right that he let you help put the band together for it, too? Yeah, he asked me, well, who, who are the guys that you think would be really good at this? And I said, okay, well, Mike Bennett on drums, Uriah Duffy on bass. He's the best bass player I know. And... Uh, those are the two guys that I got in there. And then Steve got his singer that he works with, Frankie Perez. Okay. And that was the band. And then uh, we actually toured with the opener, and he got Gus G as the opener. Oh, that's cool. Isn't Gus pretty... G Greek? Gus G is totally Greek. Yeah. That's funny. So he played, He's the last guitarist for Ozzy, right? Yeah, before Zach came back. Okay. And he's also has his his, his band Firewind is pretty popular in the speed uh -huh. metal scene too. But uh, yeah, he was a great guy to tour with, and and then he brought his singer from Holy Grail, and they did a lot of uh they did a lot of acoustic stuff, just those two, and he played to some tracks, and then at the end of the show we would all get up on stage and play together. It was, it was really nice. So even played in Madrid that was really cool oh that's cool yeah so nothing no regrets about that that was just a fantastic time that was in 2017 so super yes. awesome Steve's awesome like he you know he's known as he should be I think more for his compositions than anything because he just wrote great songs for Billy Idol right and great songs I believe he produced Idol. those records too right or co-produced the records I'm not sure about that I know that he definitely wrote the songs. He definitely wrote the songs. I mean, and then every once in a while you'd hear a song where 
his guitar abilities really came out. You know, oh like, yeah, this dude's serious. Like you can tell he's you know the that real he, deal. He's playing the theme from Top Gun. Right. <laughs> yeah, he wrote that little melody and played that. Okay. So, so that's good stuff too. And also, uh, also he, uh, he did the Vince Neil solo album called Exposed. And you know, uh, recently I bought it for my girlfriend because we love Steve Stevens and she loves Motley Crue so I was like oh this is going to be perfect so we got this album and we're playing it in the car giving it as many spins as we can stand uh-huh. it's amazing the guitar playing on that album is amazing and there's all these just crazy like King Crimson type of breakdowns and, and explorations in the middle of the song and then it, the chorus comes back and we get let down by Vince Neil's <laughs> it's really shitty, uninspired singing and melodies. It's just great guitar playing on that album. And I wish I could say it was a great album, but that, that's the best part about it is the guitar playing. Yeah, no, so. he's definitely, definitely good. So, And I, I assume like being on the road with him, watching him work, um, he was super ultra pro. And because I always find like that's like for me... I can only speak for myself, but for me, the most rewarding thing in music is there's no real success that compares to getting to when you get the chance to work with like some people that you consider like the best in their field and you just let it, you know, and it rubs off on you, (laughs) you know, that they elevate the level of the people around them because they're so pro that everyone else becomes super pro. And uh, I would assume Steve's kind of one of those guys, right? Absolutely. He's he's amazing, Uh, but very down to earth, you know, Uh, not as stoic as you would think, but uh, I wish I had more time to hang out with him. You'd think that We'd be hanging out all the time, but unfortunately, I just didn't have the time to. He was, uh, his wife is is wonderful, and she was doing some of the uh, tour managing and artist managing, some of it. Right. And but at the time, she, she was going through some pretty major medical problems, so he was with her all the time. Yeah. And they were together. And that's the way it should be, you know? Totally. So so we didn't actually see too much of them other than just, you know, waiting in lines at airports and and, and getting on the bus and getting off the bus and, and being backstage. But that's about it. Yeah. So, but, uh, but they're both very, very cool and, and very professional in every way. So... Uh, I consider myself extremely fortunate to have been selected for that little two-week tour. That's cool, man. Well, you earned it, brother. Hey, nice I want uh, I want to poke you about. Um, I think like one of my one of the things I admire the most about you, knowing you all these years, is you know your your work ethic is is pretty amazing. Like you're, you know, you you put out a lot of records you're always like creating something new and i just wanted to poke you and get you to talk about a little bit of your creative process like how you make records how you compose songs just to give you know up and coming guitarists an idea of like what's another approach to because you do everything your own way you do everything differently and and um 
and I love the fact that you're just constantly putting out music, putting out good music, and and like maybe if you could tell everyone kind of what your approach is to you know coming up with creating a song to your recording process and putting it out and that kind of thing. Absolutely, man. Well, I uh, I, I wasn't I, I haven't always been like financially secure. Let's say I just money was always an issue. So making a record and, and going into a studio and, and, and being behind a, an expensive microphone and when watching the clock, knowing that every hour is costing me 65 bucks or whatever it is, and then trying to nail something with that kind of pressure, I, I just didn't, I, I've tried to, I've done that before in a, a few sessions and and like session playing wasn't for me. I, I just can't handle that kind of in the studio pressure. But I, th- but I know that, you know, if I can get recording software on my own home little home computer, I can, I can massage it until I, I'm happy with it. So, so even without the expensive microphone or any gear or any, I don't have any outboard gear or anything. I, I'm just decided I'm going to do it anyways. And I'm not going to worry about having the most pristine audio quality. And I'm just going to worry about having a better performance. So I'm going to really concentrate on playing it extremely well. And it being in my house, this, and I'm talking about this is 10, 15 years ago. I'm thinking like this. Right. I'm thinking, well, <laughs> if I don't get great takes one day, I guess I can always trash it and do it tomorrow. Because I've got no record contract. There's no deadline. I can just keep doing it until it's perfect or good enough. And so that's kind of been my mentality behind the recording thing. It's like, I need to do something. I need to get it out because I don't want to be lazy. And I want to be able to leave a mark on the world. You know, and as musicians, we have this cool thing about recording we can do that so i just figured well the more stuff i put out the better i'll get at recording and writing and composing and all and arranging and all of that so yeah i'm on my 22nd album or something and just this last one i think is probably the best one and all the other ones are crap (laughs) because i do get a little bit better at least in my opinion yeah, I saw your. Uh, I think it was the last video you put out. I saw the Tangios. Was ah, was really cool. Pretty thanks, sh- pretty shredding. Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah, that's not on any album or anything. But uh, now we have this cool medium of video, and it's just like how I used to think about albums and why I put out so many. It's like I want to leave a mark. I've got a lot of stuff to say, and. Uh, if I can record at home, there's no reason why I can't do an album every few months, right? There's yeah. no reason I can't do that. As long as I just keep working hard every day, trying to write little things. How do people get your records? Are you on iTunes and all, everything? Yeah, I'm on iTunes and Spotify, Spotify all that and stuff. Pandora and Bandcamp and all that uh, stuff mostly YouTube. i've been i've been uploading all my full albums to youtube as a full album to just stream for free just because just because i think youtube is our greatest resource right now so that's why my concentration now is making videos more than albums cuz that's cool seems like people 
watch music more than listen to it now. Sure. I'm a culprit too. I mean, when I go to listen to, if I want to discover some new metal or listen to some old Sabbath or whatever, I go to YouTube as my first place. Right. And I just listen through there. So I think YouTube is a great resource for all of us. You know, it's just, uh, you got to keep putting stuff out. And just when I think I'm completely tapped out of ideas, uh, I'll mess around and go, you know what? I had this old idea that I haven't played in 10 years. Maybe I should mess around with that. Well, that's what's funny. It was like the week before we talked on the phone. You're like, I'm tapped, man. And then like five days later, your Tangius video comes out. And I'm like, you bastard. (laughs) That's you tapped. So what? So what? Uh, like, how, what's your creative process? Like, what you come up with the riff, and then, I mean, we all do it different, right? So, like, you do you usually come up with one riff that ends up being the kind of launching point for the song, or do you usually have a broader view of the song than that? I usually don't have a very broad view of anything, and sometimes it's it's completely different, honestly, for every song. Sometimes I start with like a rhythm, like, oh, I'm, I want to compose something in this flamenco palo of Alegrias, and then I start that way. Or sometimes uh, the funnest way is when I just, I wake up in the morning, I'm barely awake, I have my first sip of coffee, and, and before I got to take a shit, I just... <laughs> messing around on the guitar just tinkling on the strings just putting my hands wherever they're gonna go and are these real chords or I don't know what they would be I don't know just wherever and then every once in a while uh, Arlene will come out and she'll say what was that I'm like, well, what's that? What? What was that that you just played? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just messing around so I try and recreate she's like, oh yeah, that, 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 that that's good keep working on that that's good and then she takes off again and I'm like oh shit I would have just thrown that away so okay maybe there's something there so she helps a lot that's cool it really helps to have somebody to bounce off of for sure it totally does it totally does but yeah or she'll she'll be like in the shower or something and she'll hear it and she'll run out and say what was that that's good. Keep working on that. Cause she knows yeah. that I'm just noodling and dicking around, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'll probably forget it all. But so, so that's good. Or other times I'm like, okay, well I'll write a chord progression in whatever, whatever rhythm it may be. But I'm just thinking about a chord progression. Maybe there's three, four, six chords in it. And okay. That's a cool chord progression. I haven't done that before. Now, I need to write a melody. So I just start picking notes from a chord. So I have this one chord, it's A major, and I'm like, huh, what note in here do I want to start with for the beginning of the melody? And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, whatever, one of these notes. And then I go to the next chord, and then like, there's gotta be a note in here that I wanna hit. <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of how the melodies come. That's cool. So those are my different ways. Like, it's real easy to write a song because you just have to write any old chord progression, four four chords that are sort of cool. And then if you don't know what the melody is, just pick a note from each or pick two notes from each chord and play those two notes while those that chord progressions going on in the background and then boom you're gonna have the beginnings of a, probably a fairly good melody well sure and in a rock and roll or pop context or whatever or folk music 
that that is about you know it can be as simple as you're saying but when you're talking about putting together flamenco compositions it's not quite that easy so like are you um are you still grinding on technique or is that do you mostly work on your technique you know within your compositions is that how you practice now because i'm sure at some point you were putting in serious practice hours at some point i was yeah there was a there was a time where i was I was working a full-time job and I was studying flamenco and I just wasn't getting better fast enough. And I thought, shit, I'm going to have to quit so I can practice eight to 10 hours a day so I can really make some fast strides, you know? Fuck yeah. I, I, I can't be just playing like this when I'm 50, which I'm basically 50. So a <laughs> <laughs> good thing I did this. So I, actually, I, I, uh, I, what did I do? I went part-time. I asked if I could go part-time and then I put more hours into my playing. And then I was like, fuck, I, this is working. I'm getting much better, faster. All right. I've got a little bit of money. I've got a few hundred bucks saved up. I'm just going to quit and I'll find another job when I run out of money. And that's what I did. And then a few months later, I ran out of money, had to find another job, but I decided that I would only work part-time, not full-time anymore, and I just have to scrape by. And then and then I'd quit again, and then I did that back and forth for about four or five years, and I made some really great strides because my concentration wasn't on making money or a vocation. It was on just getting better at flamenco guitar. And I'm glad I did that when I was in my uh, 20s and uh, that I because it, I still needed another 20 years to really develop <laughs> <laughs> to develop those techniques into into becoming an artist. You know, I think that tw your 20s are like an amazing time to to throw yourself in like that, because, yeah, I mean, in our cases right in the lives that we had it made sense for other people they may have you know more to lose you know if they already have some money or if they put time into if they've gone to college and they've mm -hmm. you know started to build oh, a career yeah. it's totally different but like if all you've ever cared about is guitar and music and you just have a shitty job there is no better thing you can do than just fucking quit and start practicing. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, I if, if that's I, what you want to do with your life, I mean, yeah. It, and that's what, and that was, and, and so far it's worked out good. And I, I don't regret any decisions. You know, there was one time I was, I was at a crossroads where I was working at a, in an art department at a screen printing place as an illustrator. And it was, it was a great job to have, but still I'd rather be playing guitar the art director left and they asked me to be art director, which would mean, okay, I get a salary, but I'm going to have a lot more stress. I got to go to meetings. I'm not going to be drawing skulls and fire as much anymore. If at all, <laughs> I'm going to be delegating work and dealing with forms and procedures and shit, but I will probably be able to buy a nicer car and, and eventually a house and all those things. I'm going to have health insurance. It's, it's going to, I'm going to be, you know, a real job as an art director. And I said, thank you so much for the offer. I thought about it a lot and I think it's time for me to quit and pursue music full time. Yeah. And that was the crossroads. <laughs> so I, my life totally could have changed on that day, but I, 
yeah, I went the other way. And I think it was a good decision. I think so. I mean, it, you know, um, being a teacher, there's not too many students that I advise to do that. <laughs> but but when someone's in our position where, you know, if you really know what you want to do with your life and nothing else is making you happy, then you have nothing to lose. Exactly. You know, and I, and I, it's, it's sad that more people, and I'm not even talking about just music, that more, more people don't just try and jump off the edge, especially in their twenties. Um, and I think, you know, parents have a pretty profound effect on, on, uh, how kids see music as a hobby, you know, and not a real career, you know, and, um, and not just music, but all sorts of entertainment. And, uh, I think, uh, you know, sometimes it's okay to, to like piss off your parents for a decade <laughs> and, yeah. and, and then they come around and respect you, you know, they do come around. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's not to say that they go in the other way is bad. I mean, develop your vocation and, uh, and get your living going, get your house and your family life and have that all squared away so that at some time, uh, you know, when you're older, you can take up the flamenco guitar and pursue it. Or maybe when you retire, you know, you can start dedicating all your time to that. Absolutely. Whatever. There's nothing wrong with that either. No. Yeah. I'm more referring to the people that have nothing to lose. Yeah. <laughs> like us. You know, I think, yeah, uh, the grass is always greener, man. Right. I was about to say that. We're, we're, we we always guys, envy that kind of stability of oh, yeah, a house and all that, that kind of stability. stuff. Yeah. And they'd love to be doing what we're doing probably instead. So what are you going to do? Yeah. I think whatever it is you're going to do, you got to kind of give your life to it. And, and then that's when you get back from it. So, absolutely. By the way, about about doing the metal covers that you were talking to me about. Yeah. Uh, around the time that I that I started that, I remember I put out the first double album. Got the group Heavy Mellow together, and put out the first double album in 2012. But before that, in 2010, I put out this album. It was a flametal album, and it was called Heavy Mellow. And that was the first one where I said, I'm going to do all, do this flametal album just myself instead of without, with all the guys in the band, just myself, and I'm just going to do the metal covers that I like. And that CD's still in my camping truck. Oh, good. Yeah, that's fun. It was a fun one. Around that time, uh, there's a group, Rodrigo y Gabriela, were getting really popular. And everybody were calling them flamenco metal. And I had a real problem with that because, uh, well, they, and they admit it, they don't play flamenco and they don't know anything about it. But they play Spanish guitars in sort of a metal style. But I think what, why they really got popular was because they did uh, a cover of Metallica's Orion, I think it was. Or they did one of Metallica's songs, right? And people loved it, and I was like, mm, "I, I, you know what? Uh, it's just not good." I'm just gonna say it, okay? Uh, people can, people are free to like what 
and who they want to like, but I'm free to dislike whoever I want to like. And, and I was not impressed. So everybody, they were getting very popular. Meanwhile, I put the time in to study it for real and do it the real way and have the real band Flametal that started in 2004, a lot before, much before they, they put out anything. But I was, I was a little envious, a little jealous and, and, and a little bit pissed off like who the fuck what the fuck but I can't really be mad at them I, I have to be mad at their fans or <laughs> you know not finding me and and appreciating them which is in my opinion was extremely mediocre well they probably Musical. did both yeah considering the amount of views that you have now uh, you probably have a lot of roger and gabriella fans that are yeah into your guitar you know, playing so i feel like i gotta tread lightly now and i don't want to piss anybody off <laughs> but uh but you know i just at the time back then i was eager for success and i didn't have it and they had it and i was envious of that and so uh yeah do I have a problem with them? No, but I'm still affected by that that jealousy, and and I'm just, I'm just being honest, man. I'm I'm human. I have these weird emotions, and I I can't listen to their music. It's just not good enough. It could be a lot better. I I just I don't think they're working hard enough. <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you. Um... I'm not a big fan, but you know, to each their own. I mean, there's there's enough there's enough room for everybody out there to, to oh, play yeah. to play what they play, and and you know, it's like the the thing with Rosalia right now, right? She's like, she's like all the rage, and um, and there's a lot of people's you know saying the same thing about her, and the way that I see that is like, you know, I mean, it's different than what you're talking about, but it's kind of the same, like. Nobody has to listen to anything. That's true. It's it's nobody is forcing anyone to listen to it. And what's great is is Rosalia and Rodrigo Gabriela, they're they're the gateway drug now for flamenco. So with us it was like Otmar Liebert and Gypsy Kings was the gateway drug until we got yeah. into the hardcore stuff. And now it's it's like Rodrigo Gabriela and Rosalia and stuff, they're a gateway drug. And I I think it's fascinating and really awesome about Rodrigo and Gabriela that they're playing arenas. They're selling them out. And that just proves to me that, you know what, there is a, really a huge audience for instrumental Spanish guitar. For music. what for what Still, you do. Yeah. I mean in Still and that's in that sense they've 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 proven that people love acoustic guitar and like that can that can fill a stadium. That can fill a festival and and uh absolutely yeah well dude do you feel like throwing down a a little bit of a little jam oh yeah i was gonna play a yeah, song yeah for yeah for playing something yeah i'm gonna play a little song all right I'm gonna play a little song that it was uh that it was um it's always inspired me obviously al Miola and paco de lucia and they did this song called Mediterranean Sundance. Of course. And we all know it and love it. And it was always inspiring. But I had got kind of sick of 
I mean, I heard it a million times. Got a little bit sick of hearing it and definitely sick of playing it, you know, jamming it and stuff. Yeah. Because it's kind of a standard for guys like us to jam. Sure. And a great song and, and, and actually challenging in parts and stuff. And, but uh, I was like, can I just write something in the style of Mediterranean Sundance? So I tried to write my own sort of take on using that type of arrangement pattern. Yeah. And then just doing my own thing to it. So so this one is going to... It's not going to have as much flamenco picado, but it's going to. I'm going to use alter nail with my fingernail instead because I have some pretty fast runs, and nobody ever told Al Miola and John McLaughlin that, oh, you guys are totally lame because you're playing with a pick. It's well, never sure. been said, and I'm not going to say it. So why can't I do this when I want to play fast? Because this sometimes is killing me. So, and it just, yeah. sometimes it doesn't go as fast as I need it to. So this is a song from my last album called uh, Robots from Outer Spain. And the song is called Saucer Dance. Because <laughs> it's not Mediterranean Sundance. It's a, it's a sci-fi flamenco metal album. Let me just get this guitar. So, here we go. I'm going to back up a little bit. This is my signature guitar with the reverse headstock. And nice. The arm cut. Ortega, right? Flametal 2. Oh, speak. you're saying, I can't hear you at all because I took my headphones off. Oh, yeah. shit. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Maybe they'll reach. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, we were, uh, I saw that your, your guitars are in Guitar Center now. Yeah, I think some of them are actually in some of the stores. But they're definitely online. That's cool. Yeah, actually, probably the stores aren't even open still, but <laughs> but online. Yeah, that's true. And th you know what? They have been online for at least a year or so, but I just figured I would make a post about it, and maybe I'll make some of that residuals. That's cool, man. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad that I got them because I got to design this, and it, and it looks like it's a perfect blend between a flamenco metal guitar. Right, totally. And it actually works, and I'm really happy with it. So let's see if I can play this here. Thank you. 
All right. <laughs> nice, dude. That's cool, man. That's a nice way to close things out. A little shredding. Oh, well, thanks for letting me play. We'll we'll definitely have you back soon. We're gonna we're gonna have some different folks out, but we we could go on for hours. Oh yeah, I've got a whole list of questions I wanted to ask you, brother. Next we'll time, brother. Get into that next time. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but thanks for coming out. Why don't you tell folks how to find out about you, like how to check out your stuff and all that. All right. Uh, what I really want you guys to do is go to my YouTube channel, which uh, just look under Ben Woods or Ben Woods Guitar. You'll find me. I'll definitely be there. And I have over 200 videos up there. So just scroll through and click on anyone and hopefully there'll be something something you like there and subscribe motherfuckers yeah please subscribe and then of course i have a website it's at benwoodsguitar.com and i'm you know i'm on facebook and, and instagram at benwoodsguitar but uh yeah mostly i just want people to go and check out the youtube stuff because i'm always putting up new videos i'm trying to put up a new one every week to, uh, to get it going, I'm almost at 100,000 subscribers. And at that time, they're supposed to give you a little plaque. And <laughs> you're supposed to also be able to have access to the YouTube studios, which I'm not quite sure what that entails. Mm. But I'm into checking that out. But uh, yeah, it keeps me productive and busy with some kind of like, ah, shit, I need to put something new out. Yeah, so, especially with no gigs these days, got to be doing absolutely. something. Yeah, if it's not if it's not a song or if I've run out of songs, then I'll just make an uh, FAQ video where I uh, <laughs> get back at all the negative comments that people leave. I I, I actually call them out because nobody ever does <laughs> that, and I'm like, oh, oh, you want to be an asshole, huh? All right, well, let's talk about this. You're taking on all the 11 year old keyboard warriors. Exactly. <laughs> you can't get away with this I'll get you You snapper. <laughs> yeah, I, think, for- I think whatever I've seen a, On any musician's kind of video Anytime I've seen a really nasty comment About their performance or something If you click on that page They never have a single video of them playing oh, <laughs> it's, of course not. it's always a keyboard warrior Yeah Oh, that's just the way it is. And it's, <laughs> and it's part of, you know, it's part of our business to have to deal with that. And, uh, yeah, you know, we're supposed to not care, but sometimes they really get to me. I'll yeah. be honest. Sometimes the negative comments, they, they can touch a button that sure. really get you upset, you know? So I said, you know what? Fuck these guys. <laughs> so I have a thing is called fuck you. And I've got a lot of videos where I, I get back at them. I call That's them funny. out on it. And, uh, and when it gets really nasty, I have this uh, little animated character called Mr. Pick and he comes in and does the dirty work for me. Nice. So I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll have to check that out. <laughs> well, dude, thanks for coming out and hanging out, man. Well, it's dude, good it to see fun. you, and I, I can't wait till we can travel and hang out again and and do this in person over a bottle of whiskey. Although yeah, that didn't go not. so good the first time. <laughs> <laughs> we tried, and I just drank yeah, too much. This is actually our second attempt, but <laughs> <didn't work> out, <laughs> <did> it? <laughs> it was pre- it was probably even better podcast. 
it was it was it would all have to be edited though yeah all bleeps and edits and there wouldn't be much to it it'd be like the like a a document from the ufo files all blacked out you know all right brother brother. we're checking out and uh people want to find out more about what we're doing flamencoseattle.com the podcast is flamenco imas and uh this will be up and running tonight see you guys take care brother